On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In this episode, Hospice of the Piedmont CEO Trent Cockrum is joined by Ursula Robinson, Executive Director of PACE of the Triad. Together, they discuss the similarities and differences between professional caregiving and personal caregiving. Their conversation will dive deeper into the perspective shift that caregivers experience, the institutional challenges they face, and the strategies for self-care during caregiving. Our special guest, Ursula Robinson, brings a wealth of both professional and personal experience to today's conversation. She has served as the Executive Director of PACE of the Triad since 2010. PACE is an acronym which stands for Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. PACE of the Triad is the third largest PACE program in North Carolina and the first PACE program in North Carolina to provide an alternative care setting to serve rural participants. Prior to PACE, Ursula was employed with Hospice and Palliative Care of Greensboro for 18 years in various progressive leadership roles. Other work settings included nursing home, public health, and social services. Ursula has a master's degree in healthcare administration from Pfeiffer University and a master's degree in social work from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She earned a bachelor's degree in social work from University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Ursula is a licensed clinical social worker and a National Leading Age Fellow. She is married and has two adult children. Let's listen in. Ursula, my friend, it's so good to see you again. And I did not know that you've really built Pace of the Triad into one of the top three largest Pace programs in the state. Congratulations. Um, You are quite an accomplished individual, and I'm so very privileged to have an opportunity to have this really informative conversation with you today. Um, You know, as we heard from your bio from Ryan, you have had experience in many different healthcare settings. You've worked in hospice as a hospice social worker. You've been the executive director of, of the PACE program in Greensboro for four, five, no longer than five years. How long? 11 years now. 11 years. Gosh, 11 time years. passes so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I didn't know about you um, until very recently, having seen a brief spot about you and the PACE program on a local cable news uh, piece, is that you yourself have been a caregiver for multiple generations in your own family. Um, And I'm curious to know if you can talk a little bit about how your, your professional time both as a hospice social worker, as uh, executive director of PACE, has helped prepare helped prepare you, or maybe didn't prepare you, as the case may be, for being a caregiver for someone mm-hmm. in your own family. Yeah, that's a good question, Trent. Thank you for asking. Um, I have cared for a great grandmother and a grandmother and a mother. And um, in two situations, I was a long distance caregiver and came home on the weekends or went to their homes on the weekend to care for them. The other situation, I attempted to do long distance caregiving. That was my mother. 
but then her care uh, became so much and uh, we got hospice involved and I had to bring her to my home. Um, I would definitely say that my work with hospice and certainly um, my social work background and training prepared me to be a caregiver. However, um, my family did not know about my personal training and education about being a caregiver, uh, much less being in healthcare, because to them, I was still Ursula. Sure. I was still the little girl. Uh, and as my grandmother would, would, would remind me, uh, she raised me. Uh, and so trying to instruct, uh, I call her my, the, my, the person that I cared for or the care receiver on things that need to be done was not always easy, uh, even for someone with my background and training. But certainly it helped me to know the questions to ask. I think it certainly made it easier for me to interact with the healthcare professionals um, in terms of knowing the jargon, knowing the questions to ask, or just knowing who to go to for anything. Sure. And many caregivers who do not have my background probably wouldn't know that. And many probably would sit in silence, um, just not knowing. Um, but again, I can't emphasize the fact that to my family, I was still just Ursula. Right. Uh, right. I'm, I'm confident of that. You know, you, you, you took care of three generations of your own family um, and it sounds as though that you felt as though you had a choice, but you acted out of a sense of obligation is one way that one could sort of think about what you just described. Um, you know, many people um, may feel when they find themselves in a caregiving uh, role or with caregiving, caregiving responsibilities, they feel as though they don't have another choice. But that isn't the impression that I get from you and the story that you tell about uh, your caring for your your mother, your grandmother, and your great-grandmother. That's correct. Um, and I think you will find this with many caregivers, even the term caregiving, let me start there. Mm -hmm. um, for many of us, that is too formal or um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's too formal because we're just doing what our loved ones would have done for us. We're just sure. taking care of family. That, that's really what it's about. You're taking being responsible. Being you're being responsible. responsible. Sure. Um, they helped you, and now you're giving back to mm -hmm. your loved ones. And so that's the way we see caregiving, and I think that's the way the majority of caregivers view it. Um, it, it certainly shapes and molds you. You are never the same once you've been a caregiver. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it has taught me about certainly all the 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 balls that life will throw at you mm -hmm. and how you can juggle all of those balls. It has certainly helped me to have a deeper faith. Um, my faith has matured. Um, I also became someone who could set boundaries, something that I had struggles with. But after being a caregiver, that was something that I, I had to learn in order to survive as a caregiver, particularly being a caregiver for three people. You can mm -hmm. probably imagine um, that I really had to to buckle down and, and learn to to set limits. So for me, it was just a matter of taking care of my loved one. It certainly was not an obligation at all. Right. Now, you mentioned that you were um, you've been both a long distance caregiver and then an in-person caregiver. Um, 
I suspect there are many people that find themselves in similar situations. Um, there are likely some very, uh, some great similarities, but I suspect there are some unique differences. Can you talk about what it's like to be a distant caregiver? I certainly can. Let me say there, that there definitely are some similarities. I think all caregivers, regardless of whether they are local, live in or not live in, or whether they're long distance, Certainly, um, caregivers need two things. One, they need physical support in helping to care for their loved ones. And they may not need it right now, but they will eventually need it. And so right. it's going to be important to remember that. And the other thing is that they need emotional support. They need someone to talk to. Um, they need to try to have as much of a routine life as they possibly could. They need that sounding board, someone to listen to them. Um, Caregiving long distance is different in that uh, there's a lot of um, conversations over the phone, uh, coordinating with people in the other city, uh, a lot of driving on the road, particularly uh, for me, it was a three hour drive uh, every weekend. There's a lot of um, stress and strain about whether or not that person is safe in the home, and especially mm -hmm. if you're not able to see them every day. Sure. Um, People who are not just older adults, but people in general who are sick, they do not want to be a burden to others. And so they will do all that they can to um, try not to be a burden and in some cases cover up uh, and pretend that things are much better than they are. Sure. If you're a long distance caregiver and cannot see them, that makes it even more difficult. Right. And some would say, well, why don't you just FaceTime? Well, I was in the, of the age where FaceTime did not exist. And even if it did exist, my great grandmother or and my grandmother would not have known how to operate that, that gadget. As they right. Uh, we were just getting them used to the cell phone and that still didn't work out quite well. But anyway, so um, it, it's, it's just a different mentality to just sit and wonder versus being able to just get up and go over there and check on them if you don't already live with them. Right. So that. That anxiety. Yeah. But either one are sort of relying upon making sure that that you as a caregiver, whether it's in person or distant, um, you know, has a well-established support system. Right. Absolutely. Not only for when you're not there, but for you yourself. Right. For mm -hmm. the caregiver themselves. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So. You know, one of the things that strikes me, and we've had this conversation a couple times um, over the over the years about caregivers, um, and one of the things that really strikes me in particular during this conversation, you've already mentioned it, as I think back on my 25 years or so in healthcare, um, you, you mentioned that there are uh, many times that the word caregiver almost sounds too professional sounding or too formal. Um, and as I reflect back on many conversations that I've had, with individuals, um, th their response to me is, well, I'm taking care of my mom or I'm taking care of my grandmother. And I couldn't agree more that in their mind, they don't really necessarily consider themselves as a caregiver. And I think that that is such an interesting dynamic that we oftentimes don't think about. Hi, friends. It's your host, Ryan Biagini. I'd like to take a moment to encourage you to subscribe and stay tuned to this podcast channel for exciting news and developments about how we support caregivers. As an organization, 
we are committed to advocating for those caring for others and creating innovative solutions to address the needs of caregivers. And now let's get back to the conversation. But when we think about caregivers, and I think about all of those people with whom I've had those myriad of conversations, I think about not only the physical support that they need in order to be successful in their role as a caregiver, but the emotional support that they need as well. Can you talk a little bit about what emotional support for caregivers actually looks like, why that's important? Absolutely. It is so important. That emotional support could very well be the key factor that prevents a caregiver from experiencing burnout Mm. or from compassion fatigue. And we can talk about that a little bit more as well. But it is so critical for a place for a caregiver to be open and honest about what they're going through, uh, for them to be listened to without judgment, uh, because they're going to be going through a lot of emotions as a caregiver. There are going to be days where you're going to feel really, really good. There are going to be days when you're not feeling good. There are going to be days when you're going to be very anxious. And we're constantly wanting to know that we're doing the right thing uh, for our loved ones. So and then we're having to interact with these healthcare professionals who have a whole different code of communicating uh, that we don't want to sound like we are um, ignorant. So we don't ask many questions. We just let them talk over our heads mm. uh, without asking them to please explain what you're doing. So having someone to go to um, to tell us, first of all, that we don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay because we're humans, no, nobody's perfect, but also to tell us that we're, we're doing things right, that we're doing okay as a caregiver, um, and to show us how to take care of our loved ones uh, is so critically important. I think of the example of a caregiver that we currently have in the PACE program. She's 68 years old, and she's caring for her adult son as well as his two children, a boy and a girl. Wow. I was talking with the nurse recently, and the nurse said to me, I was speaking with, let's call her Miss Jane the other day about the care for her son, and we were learning how to use some, I think it was a, a pick line she was talking with her about, and that sounded intimidating to me immediately when she said pick line. Um, we were talking about that, and she did it perfectly when I, when I, her and had her to demonstrate for me. And the relief that came over her was overwhelming. Um, she said she just started crying on me because I told her, you did that job just as good as a well-trained nurse did. And she's like, are you kidding me? Really? So um, we want to hear that. We need to hear that because we want to do a good job sure. in caring for our loved ones. Um, we love them. I mean, that's what that's what we want. Yeah, you know, I think I think caregivers um, need affirmation, just like we all need positive reinforcement and affirmation, right? Absolutely. But I also think that for caregivers, um, I think an important component, if again, as I look back over the number of years of and individuals that I've known that have, you know, cared for somebody or taken care of their mom or dad or someone else, um, it it is an acknowledgement that what they're going through is difficult because others who are not experiencing it oftentimes cannot really relate to it. And I think that's part of the disconnect, right? Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. can understand it um, as individuals, but if we've never actually done it, we simply don't have an awareness of how physically or emotionally taxing 
it can really be because being a caregiver is hard. It's physical hard. It's mental hard. It's all of those things that we don't always think about. But the programmed response oftentimes that we get from someone and from the community, for example, is, well, how, how's, how are things going? I know you're taking care of your husband. Everything is, well, everything's okay, but, but is it really okay? You know, so it's, right, it's right. about giving them permission, I think, to have some and offering some acknowledgement that it's okay to tell me that this is hard because mm-hmm. we can understand that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People really, um, I used to wonder, particularly my first go round with this, how are things going? I used to really wonder if people really wanted to know. And uh, so I got into the custom of saying, well, everything's going okay. You know, um, but I had a wonderful girlfriend who's still a, still a dear friend of mine. She said, well, tell me how, what do you mean when you say everything's going okay? What, what does that look like for you? And then the tears came. And then, you know, it was like a floodgate opened up. And, and I thought to myself, oh, I just sit, sat here and just let her have it. Um, because she was the first person that I honestly felt like really wanted to know how my life was as a caregiver. Right. And I was embarrassed by doing that. Um, I thought I was not being a good caregiver by being vulnerable. And telling her about the things that I was scared of, the things that didn't go so well. And she happens to be a nurse. And um, she said, Ursula, if I was in your shoes, I would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have done the same things. Because we're human. Because we're human. Yeah. Exactly. And we've got to find, and she kept saying, you've got to get a network because she she's a, was out of town as well, lived out of town. And she said, you got to get a network of people that you can really rely on. So absolutely, Trent. You know, the story you just told about the participant um, that uh, is caring for their adult son and then also their grandchildren, uh, that the uh, the son's children, uh, mm-hmm. that is more common now, I think, than it used to be. But even even more common, I suspect, is this generation of adults, this sandwich generation, as we'll call it, this generation of adults who are raising their children who are also caring for their parents. And, you know, there is a lot of balancing of priorities that have to go on in either of those two situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you hit it right on the head. As a whole, of course, most of all of us know this now, but as a whole, we're all living longer, right? Mm -hmm. And we're living longer with the decline in our abilities. Our families are smaller, right? And more and more women are in the workforce compared to other generations when they could be at home and help take care of loved ones. We're also dealing with an opioid epidemic, right? Some researchers are even blaming the opioid epidemic on the rise in grandparents raising grandchildren. Now, Mm. I don't know that to be true. Um, That was certainly not the case when my grandparents decided to raise me. But I imagine it is the case for some people. And we just need to treat each situation as they are. According to AARP, there are approximately 3 million older adults who are taking the lead in raising their grandchildren. 3 million. Yeah. More than 6.1 million. This is again from AARP. More than 6.1 million children under 18 live in their grandparents' households. 
So I can't stress enough in those situations the importance of grandparents uh, taking care of themselves, focusing not only on their physical health, but their mental health, and certainly their financial health um, is critical. And that other phenomenon that you talked about, the sandwich generation, as you said, this occurs when you've got adults who are not only caring for their children, but also caring for their parents. So they're right there in the middle. Another AARP statistic says that according um, to AARP, 47% of adults in their 40s and 50s are supporting an aging parent in their 70s while also managing kids. The Pew Research Center said 12% of parents are part of the sandwich generation. That's 12% of people who have children are part of the sandwich generation. I was in these situations um, for each of the ladies that I cared for, and it was overwhelming. I felt guilty a lot of the time because I felt like I couldn't give either one my my adult that I was caring for, or my children, my undivided attention. I just felt stretched in every direct direction. And did I mention, by the way, Trent, that I was working? Oh, <laughs> you, you did not you know, mention that. So no. you had all of that in there, uh, trying to work, raise children, and care for elderly uh, loved ones. It was just overwhelming. That's that's the best word I can describe for you. Yeah, no, it, 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 it makes you... I think it gives a greater appreciation for this concept that caregivers really are superheroes, right? I mean, they're balancing a multitude of priorities. In your case, it was your own home, your own children, um, either uh, either uh, on-site caregiving or being a distant caregiver. And, you know, any of those are taxing, plus managing the priorities of your job. I mean, yes. you know, that's yes. none of that is a, is, is a small feat. Um, you know, I, I want to give just a nod to the statistics that you gave. Three million, I think it was three million folks that you mm -hmm. said are caring for, seniors are caring for uh, a grandchild. Is that right? So, you know, to give that some context, I think, you know, these are big numbers, but three million people is roughly one third, just to give it some context, one third of the entire population of the state of North Carolina Wow. And roughly three times the population of what we call the Piedmont Triad, where we live. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. those are those are staggering numbers if you think about that in its context. But that also means that probably one out of every three or four people that you know falls into one of those categories, particularly if you are older than, say, 45 years old. Thank you for joining us for part one of our discussion, The Face of Caregiving. Join us next time as we continue this conversation exploring the perspective shift that caregivers experience, the institutional challenges they face, and strategies for self-care during caregiving. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.